Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs. So you can work, game, and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, who has been covering the just completed playoffs for 538 and GQ. Michael, I think this episode is going to have to be called the Afterglow. I kid you not, I still smell of champagne. I cannot get the scent off my body last night was absolutely doused by LeBron James, a very excited LeBron James who helped lead the Lakers to the fourth title of his career, uh, the 17th title in Lakers history, the first title of Anthony Davis's career, um, and LeBron along the way claimed his fourth finals MVP award. It was a pretty stunning change of momentum again in this series, which started with the Lakers in total command. Miami made it so interesting with wins in games three and five, uh, but the Lakers punched back hard. They changed their starting lineup for game six. They inserted Alex Caruso in place of Dwight Howard, and they were in total control from start to finish. Michael, how do you explain a series that was so tight in Miami's two wins getting away from them entirely in Game 6 and, and the Lakers really building a 30-plus point lead at various points and cruising to uh, the championship ceiling win. What the heck happened last night? I'm always so uh, confused anytime a series, because this happens a lot, where like a team is up 3-2 and then the wheels just sort of fall off in a Game 6 or a Game 7. Um, so it was... It was pretty. I mean, I was pretty confused, honestly, as it was happening. It was it was uh, tough to process, honestly, especially for a team like Miami that is just so hard nosed, so disciplined on the defensive end. They were just letting LeBron do whatever he wanted on drives to the basket. Um, I mean, the easiest way to kind of sum it up. I mean, I have like a little checklist here, but like number one, Miami just ran out of gas, right? Like Jimmy Butler. Uh, there were the, the, those possessions in the second quarter where he's guarding Rajon Rondo so that he can switch onto 
either uh, LeBron or AD and pick and rolls. And Rondo's just like blowing by Jimmy. And that could be exhaustion from a guy who basically was not able to rest in the previous game uh, a couple nights prior or a guy who knew that he wasn't going to get to rest really in that game either. So, you know, trying to pick his spots and and uh, and rest on the court, but R- Rondo burned him. That's just like a microcosm of, of his own exhaustion. Um, I think another one was just like Bam Adebayo, and this is kind of a bigger question, but like, or issue, but Bam Adebayo just did not look good period i mean he was basically a net negative once he came back into this series which was really disappointing because he was the best player in the eastern conference finals and then after that injury suffered when he ran into dwight howard in game one uh he he just i mean he couldn't lift his arms he couldn't shoot he couldn't grab loose balls i mean he was so ineffective around the basket uh particularly in game five uh just wasn't able to finish i mean ad just completely overmatched him uh, you know this was the first game that Goran Dragic came back after his game one injury and you know understandably he was ineffective on both ends I mean the Lakers targeted him a few times and had some success and that's nothing against Goran he only had one driving basket that was kind of like his signature heading into this series where he was one of the most effective players on drives um, and then like I mean Anthony Davis just in my opinion, uh, solidified the fact that he is the best defensive player on the planet and the way he intimidated, particularly Tyler Hero, on a couple of those early possessions where Hero, it looked like he had layups, like wide open layups, saw AD out of the corner of his eye and tried to whip a pass out to the three-point line. And it was either a turnover or just, you know, minus two points. Like So that was, I thought, pretty... um, I thought that those factors really played into Miami's downfall. Um, the Lakers just had more energy, more talent, and more confidence. Yeah, I thought it was just an absolute clinic defensively by the Lakers, especially in the first half. Now, look, Miami was obviously exhausted. As you're mentioning, they're wounded. Bam is not right. Goran is valiantly trying to make this comeback in the you know season-on-the-line type game, mm-hmm. but he's definitely not right. And everyone had expended so much energy in that game five to make it happen, especially Jimmy, that you could just tell they didn't have another gear to go to. And the Lakers, I think, were really, uh, you know, feeling, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but humbled a little bit after that game five win where they all went in there with the gold sneakers and the Kobe jerseys and expecting (laughs) to like kind of write their own story. And they tempted fate, right? And they refocused very, very well. I loved the starting lineup adjustment from Frank Vogel because Dwight had kind of struggled in this series. There's always a moment where you're going to downshift at some point, it seems like, in these playoffs. You have to deploy it at the right time. To pick Caruso rather than Morris, who had kind of started in place of Dwight in second halves at various points, was such a smart move because it just made cleaner matchups It allowed them to be more active, faster, more versatile, more switchy defensively. And I call it a clinic because they were working hard on the defensive end. The hardest thing to do in the NBA is to be an active, committed defender for long stretches of time. That's why you always see guys get frustrated with each other when someone lets down because all that work, everybody else's work, is going to waste. You know, they use that phrase, you know, playing defense on a string. Mm -hmm. And when five guys are playing hard defensively like the Lakers do, 
it doesn't look like effort anymore. It looks effortless. You know, it's almost like they're floating and levitating around the court. And I just think for all the basketball coaches and high school players out there that are listening to this, go back and use that first half of game six as your teaching tape. That is a championship team that wants to seal that thing. They want to, you know, stomp on their opponent's neck. And they did it with their defense. I mean, they were making everything difficult for Miami. Now, they Miami didn't have the most ball handlers and creators to kind of come back at them, but they just did a great job of, um, you know, it didn't even look like extra effort plays, even though they were making extra effort plays all over the court because they were on that string and it just looked, uh, you know, easy breezy. You love to see it. They turned so much defense into offense. LeBron was trying to get out into transition constantly. Um, that was a major factor as they built their lead. The standout moment from the whole game to me was when Anthony Davis got the dunk to put them up 20. Um, he, get, he, he gets the, no, he gets the and one. Yeah. And at that moment, it starts to feel like, okay, this is not going to go the other direction. And look, the Lakers, it was a really tense environment for game five, right? And the, the weight of the pressure, this idea, like, are they really going to blow a 3-1 in the bubble? Like that was starting to percolate before game six for sure. And they did a great job coming out focused and not letting that stuff kind of get into their heads. Anthony Davis dunks to go up 20. He gets fouled. And LeBron, there's no celebration. LeBron's standing right behind him. And he's just circling his index fingers, uh, basically telling everybody on the court, uh, particularly KCP in that moment, you know, basically just saying, let's go faster. Let's do this more. Let's not let up. Let's keep this thing going. I think they went on a 10-0 run after that free throw that Anthony Davis took, and that put the game away for good. The, the rest was academic. So it's just a, an example of like when you do realize you're, you're in an advantageous situation, you know, take it all the way through. That's how you finish the title off. I was impressed. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I never really loved or felt this strong emotional connection to this Lakers group in part because it was so many new faces in the mercenary aspect that we're talking about. Um, and I think that they usually get viewed as this star-studded, big market, stole Anthony Davis from New Orleans. You know, there's a lot of like easy tropes to use uh, to kind of criticize them. But they won that with sound, fundamental team basketball in game six. And I don't want that to get overlooked in all of the adulation of LeBron or all the the hype of Anthony Davis. I mean, their defense was absolutely rock solid in that first half. Defense was great. Um, all the tropes that you mentioned are also true. I know that that'll get me in trouble with all the Lakers faithful, and I apologize. But uh, you kind of mentioned the emotional connection that you had to this team or one that maybe you didn't expect. Uh, no, you know, I, I said, like, I never really felt it. Like, yeah, I mean, there, yeah. there are certain teams that I'll go back and I'll always feel, like, super fondly towards in terms of, sure. like, their play style, their main characters. I mean, for sure, uh, the 2014 Spurs always jump out. The 2015 yeah. Warriors were a special group. I mean, there's been a couple other, you know, a lot of people really like the, the 11 Mavericks. They weren't my favorite, but I definitely have a healthy respect <laughs> for them. Um, you know, I look at this group, I'm going to look back and just remember the day-to-day devotion of LeBron, how hard he worked, all the burden he carried on and off the court in the bubble, and the fact that they were able to kind of finish it off, uh, you know, kind of storybook fashion. I'm going to remember that for sure. I'm definitely going to remember the post-game celebration, and we can dig into that in a minute. But in terms of like this particular group, I'm not sure it's like this iconic roster with this very clear identity. You right. know, it, it was more like... Hey, we have a good idea. Let's go team up in LA. This no, could be fun. <laughs> no, yo, exactly. And I real quick because I know we're gonna dig into all this in a bit. But like, 
the post game uh, celebration, real quick, like uh, watching Anthony Davis cry, it just like didn't. You know, you want that moment to really mean something as someone connecting to basketball and loving basketball, and like I'm, I, I'm 100 not. This isn't me criticizing him for crying or anything like that. I'm just saying that there was no like emotional, um, uh, I guess, connection for on, on me so personally you, watching. You it. you weren't crying, is what you're saying. You're I not, was. You're not getting I, any like was, misty or anything no, when you're watching. I, 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 I was crying for different reasons, and that started in about the second quarter. But uh, no, I, <laughs> watching AD, like I just didn't. Like you mentioned some of those other teams where, you know, if you see even like, uh, you know, I I obviously come in here with a little bit of a bias, but watching a uh, a Kevin Garnett scream to the rafters after he wins his first title, there's more of a I feel like there's more of a universal connection to that type of moment, you know, Um, where this player has been through so much more and we've been through so much more with this player as a community of basketball lovers. Um, so to see it be with the Lakers, to see them kind of, you know, AD is this guy who uh, basically was under contract and then was like, I don't want to be here anymore. And he punted a season in his prime and all of that. I just can't really forget all of those things. So when I see him cry, um, I'm just like, not really okay. like, cool, you won a title. Um Let's move on to the next season. I guess was my, my takeaway, which I, I apologize to whoever I'm offending with no, that. Take. You're you're hilarious. Don't apologize. Keep okay. it real, Michael. Um, here's the contrast I would draw. Tell me if you agree with this. Okay. I think in a lot of years, if a player has a relatable journey or a struggle or the the mountain climb effect mm-hmm. of hey, we've got to go bit by bit to finally get over the hump. Kyle Lowry is a perfect example. Not very many people like Kyle Lowry before he won the title. He was an easy punching bag, terrible uh, field goal percentage in the playoffs, um, you know, underrated by the masses and all that, right? I mean, memes making fun of him, all that kind of stuff. He wins the title, and now there's this huge, like, influx of support for Kyle Lowry. Oh, man, what a journey. He went through so much, so many playoff uh, struggles, and he finally got it done. And people are kind of, like, happy for him. There's a relatability factor to that because I think – a lot of fan bases around the league could say, wow, like I have a favorite veteran who's never been able to do it. Imagine if he got to experience what Kyle Lowry did. What an incredible satisfaction. The problem with the Lakers is that they are not relatable to any other fan base in the NBA because there is no other team that can have the best player in basketball decide that he wants to use their brand to expand his off-court media and uh, <laughs> movie empire. And yeah. then have his uh, close friend and agent orchestrate a trade request to pull in, you know, like a top five, six talent who's been languishing and who's still under contract um, from from a small market franchise and just drop him in and then basically go, you know, bargain basement uh, garage sale shopping with veterans who are ready to kind of uh, hop along board. Like there's just no other franchise that could replicate this Lakers path to a title. And so that's an obvious source of resentment and there's a lot of franchises who had strong cases like hey Anthony Davis if you come here you could win a title and you could say if you go back two years they had a lot stronger cases to Anthony Davis you know better setups younger cores more balanced uh, situations and whatever else and yet they never even got a look I mean remember when he was on stage at the 2019 all-star weekend and people are like well what's your list Anthony and he like 
came up with like this fake list and then everyone realized like no really just the Lakers is the list and he's gonna wind (laughs) up on the Lakers and it's just a matter of time right and I I think that that's sort of what you're getting at here where um, you know Anthony Davis is gonna be happy Anthony Davis's family is gonna feel very happy you know LeBron's whole quote about Frank Sinatra I did it my way that's true but your way isn't everyone else's way and that's going to leave this as I think kind of a, a polarizing title run yeah, I, I 100% agree with all of that, and you like you throw in all of the bubble and the weirdness of the bubble and the teams that we thought that the Lakers would have had to have faced to get to the mountaintop, and they didn't have to face those teams, and they didn't have to face the reigning finals MVP or the two-time uh, back-to-back MVP or uh, a Houston Rockets team that wasn't ravaged by COVID. Um, So, like, there are some, these weird, like, uh, extenuating circumstances that should be uh, factored into this conversation to make it a little bit more nuanced. But, like, also, at the end of the day, they won the title, and you can never take that away from them. And, like, it's hard to say, hey, Anthony, you made the wrong decision. Like, no one's going to say that. Obviously, he made the right one. They won the championship. He is uh, the future face of the most popular franchise in the sport and one of the most popular franchises in uh, sports franchises in the entire world. So, obviously, it's working out for Anthony Davis. And, like, my doubt of his ability to rise to this level, he obviously squashed that. He was incredible. I still would have probably voted him for finals MVP, and I'm kind of shocked that he didn't get a single vote out of the nine uh, media members who do vote. That was kind of weird to me. Um, But, no, like, I agree with everything else that you're saying about how just the circumstances of how this team was constructed make it very hard to relate to and connect with. Yeah, on the finals MVP voting, it did not surprise me. It's the bubble group think, man. Like, this has been LeBron's bubble for a while. And, like, the closer in proximity you are to him, the the harder it is to kind of, you know, balance things rationally. I mm-hmm. think also Anthony's, you know, rough game three probably cost him a little bit. And then, you know, LeBron was just a consistent force throughout the series orchestrating and I think he finished strong. And I think people really looked at that Game 5 performance, too. I mean, that was just an absolutely ridiculous game and a losing effort that probably kind of sealed it for him. Um, so let's let's stick with LeBron. When you're ranking his four titles and when you're taking into account all of the factors that we're describing, whether he's going to be embraced, whether he's the good guy, whether he's the bad guy, I mean, he's up on stage asking for his bleep respect, his dang respect, um, <laughs> you know, is very... Uh, very interesting that that was one of his messages. You know, he, clearly he's feeling, I think, criticism from all directions, particularly, you know, political criticism. I think, uh, you know, that, that stuff is most likely getting to him at this point because he's been so out front on so many polarizing topics. And that must have been such a satisfying win, given those uh, circumstances in particular. But you look back at his title runs. 2012, they beat the Young Thunder, his first title. Uh, 2013, Ray Allen saves the day with the corner three, and then they finish it off in game seven against a very good San Antonio Spurs team. 2016, he leads the 3-1 comeback against the 73-win Warriors uh, to end Cleveland's drought. And then 2020 now, he takes the Lakers through the bubble on a 16-5 and run and puts away the Miami Heat. Um, you know, a very strong and plucky performance from Jimmy Butler, but, you know, still there was some injury issues on Miami's side. 
if you were to rank those four titles in terms of like most important, greatest achievements, legacy defining, um, where would this one fall? I think it's hard to answer that question without extracting or disentangling the bubble from the equation. So I'm just going to try to keep it to basketball nope, as, nope, as much as nope, possible. Nope, 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 nope. You're not going to do that. You're going to go the other way. You're going to keep it entangled. Okay. This is the bubble title. There's no way we can ever look at it differently. We're always going to look at it this way. Right. So all the okay. bubble stuff, all the bubble stuff has to count. And by the way, like, you know, for 2012, you get to count it because it was his first one, right? That that's something getting over the hump, all those years of, of struggling in Cleveland that counts. I guess the way I'm defining this is it's less about the rational basketball action and more about the emotional feel and how people will remember it. And, you know, when you're looking back on his career, say 15, 20 years from now, although he could still be playing, let's let's leave that possibility open. <laughs> it's true. Um, which are the ones that are going to jump to you first? And I asked this question because in 2016, everyone said this was the moment. This was yeah. the single greatest title, period. Personally, I still feel that way. That would be my number one. But where would yes. you rank the bubble title? I think even after your little preamble here, my, my rankings are the same. I, I think that this is the least impressive of all of four. Wow, Michael, um, you are really deep into the hater raid today, I swear. No, I mean, the other ones are, like, great. Like, it, it, it's, it speaks to, like... Look, it speaks to the runs that he had. I do think that the greatest and most important game of his career came in that 2012 run, um, Game 6 in TD Garden. Um, I don't know if the that Oklahoma City Thunder team in the finals was better or worse than this Miami Heat team, but that Thunder team was very good. Um you know the Spurs, the Hall of Famers that were there, Greg Popovich, the 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 pedigree, um, having to face Kawhi Leonard, who was just coming on as one of the better perimeter defenders in basketball and a true uh, legitimate rival, I think, in a lot of ways um, for LeBron. Um, and I mean, like Ray Allen shot also, like that's incredible. Um, I think that the 2016 title will forever be his apex and the number one thing that he's recognized for and i mean lebron himself said uh, uh that he considered himself the greatest player ever after that title and while i don't necessarily th you know that's a completely different conversation about him being the best player ever um it clearly means a lot for him to have ended the drought in cleveland to go back there to prove a lot of people wrong including uh, people with the Miami Heat organization who thought that it was going to be the biggest mistake of his career. So there's a little bit of a difference between going back to the Cavs, a small market team, very difficult to attract free agents, uh, versus going to the Lakers and winning a championship with all of their history and um, everything that goes into their greatness. Yeah. So here's a way to put it. I mean, look, I my whole family is from Michigan. I mean, mm -hmm. there's an entire industry of clothing between the states of Michigan and Ohio that basically just is expletive in the name of the state, right? Bleep Ohio, bleep Michigan. <laughs> Even I could rally around this idea. And I personally, Cleveland is one of my least favorite stops in the NBA because their version of vegetarian food is mozzarella sticks, right? <laughs> yes. um, so I have, a, I have a tough time there. Um, but 
even I could rally around the 2016 title and be like, yes, that's what it's supposed to be about. It was great. I think, uh, right. A lot of the elements that we were describing earlier, like that maybe are missing from this Lakers title, were actually there in that 2016 title. So I would agree that that's number one. I actually think that this bubble title is, it's really close with this one or 2013. I'm going to pick the 2013 one for LeBron because of my respect for the quality of competition. Bottom line, they stole that title and did not deserve it. That should have been Tim Duncan's ring. Kawhi Leonard blew it for him. I will never forgive him for that. So did Greg Popovich. (laughs) Duncan should have gotten a title. Popovich and and Leonard should not have gotten a title for the missed free throws and for the decision to sub Duncan out on the critical um, rebounding possession. Um, So I'll go two there. I will put the bubble three, and it's very close. And actually, as time passes, I could see myself talking myself into moving it up to two. It, it, it's just inseparable from the entire experience. The, the quality of competition, I think, is the the weakest aspect of this title. And yet he still went through Damian Lillard, James Harden, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler playing at his peak levels, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray playing out of his mind. Um, there were talented players along <sighs> the way. Now, again, he it's the first time that we've really seen LeBron have the better team basically in every series, right? Um, and that's something that we saw a lot in the Eastern Conference when he was getting through to the finals, but he was almost always an underdog, or at least it was very tight in a number of these finals. So I think from that standpoint, people are going to be docking him because he had the more talented team. Um, you know, that's part of the deal. You know, it's like we don't take points off for Jordan having the more talented team in, in all of his title runs. So I would, um, and also I think proximity here matters. You know, I mean, Chris Paul uh, made a comment to me basically saying like, Unless you're in the bubble, you can't get it. And I hate to to sound like a bubble elitist, but I really do think that this was just a completely unique, different, incredibly difficult, challenging experience. By far the best reporting assignment of my life. Everything going forward from here is going to pale in comparison. I would actually say last night's title celebration, even though I haven't... um, necessarily had the strongest fondness for this Lakers group was the single most fun night of my entire writing career, reporting career because of the release factor after everybody being pent up for three months and the excitement that everyone gets to go home. We finally reached the finish line. It felt like college graduation. I mean, that that was really the feeling. And so even though we're in an empty gym <laughs> with guys running around with expensive champagne, it's just that's that was the... the, the um, no, that was the feeling, and you can tell I'm, uh, you know, being truthful here because I just railed about superlatives on the last episode, Michael. So I wouldn't double back with false superlatives if I didn't mean it. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it, it will be very memorable. I think from a coverage standpoint, it will be the that one or 2016 will be the most memorable. I think from um, you know from this decade for me, and then I would put the, the Oklahoma City one last because I tend to backload it and look a little bit more at the finals matchup as uh, compared to. Uh, the the early round play, but right. I understand why you, you would put um, you know game six there up on the uh, up on the pedestal. So let's talk about this post game scene, Michael. You're laughing at me as I'm describing how much fun it was. Yeah, um, you're in full hater mode. So give me your give me your perspective. Give me the counter argument. Did it look lame? Have you been to cooler parties with your friends down the block <laughs> in Brooklyn? I mean, uh, how much do you want to dig in here? Hey, I mean, I mean, first of all, Ben. Uh, you gotta, as the journalist, you gotta disentangle yourself, remove yourself from the story, which you're not, you're not doing when you're, when you're trying to judge whether or not this was LeBron's most difficult or important or whatever word you want to use, championship. So, 
obviously you're 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 looking at it through a uh, a biased lens and that's okay but i just want the record to kind of stand there before we move on to discuss this uh this celebration um uh, i don't know is that true am i really doing that i think i've been pretty balanced on that you're okay you're okay um I think I, that, I, th- I think that the uh, the proximity here part is important because you don't. I mean, look, I can't tell you what LeBron went through here in the bubble because I didn't have to play forty two minutes against Jimmy Butler, who's right. playing the best basketball of his entire life, right? But I can tell you that as someone who has devoted myself to my craft as hard as I ever have for the last three months, this was absolutely the most difficult challenge I've ever gone through. I mean, there's games where I'm I'm coming home dizzy and lightheaded because I've watched nine straight hours of basketball. I'm just sitting there writing and reporting. I put this in one of the stories I wrote, but, you know, my iPhone screen time peaked at more than 11 hours per day uh, during the, the early playoffs <sighs> because there was just so much basketball to take place, right? Um, up until every single night, 3, 4 a.m. for three months straight, um, you know, doing everything I possibly can to maintain a mental balance from daily exercise to food intake to, to sleep management and all of that. No, like, and, and like, I, I, I just think there's it's really easy for people who aren't here to be like, oh, yeah, that bubble was, <laughs> no. was nothing. And like bottom line is people who weren't do- going through it are just flat wrong. They don't get it. And that, there's no way to say that without coming off pompous, but I think that needs to be said. No, I, I and I don't want it to sound like I am belittling or diminishing the the struggle of being inside an environment like that because I know for me personally, I would have a very difficult time being away from my family, being away from my wife for that long. So I can, like, yeah, 100%, huge sacrifice by you and everyone else who was in attendance um before we move on it's just like i can't really get past and this is not lebron's fault at all it's not the lakers fault at all because all you can do is play the team that is in front of you but i just am so disappointed as a basketball fan that we did not get to see some of the matchups that i thought Going back to literally a year ago, Ben, like think about where we were a year ago when we were anticipating the 2019-20 NBA season. Seeing some of those matchups in the playoffs just never happen is tough for me to swallow. And I'm not even saying this as someone who likes the Celtics. I'm not saying this as someone who isn't particularly fond of the Lakers when they're successful. I'm saying this is just someone who loves X's and O's, basketball, narratives, all of that. So that is, for me, a little sad no, I, I hear you well look nobody wanted lakers clippers more than i did and i don't think anybody wanted lakers bucks more than i did but i actually think that burnishes the lakers title here rather than detracts from it and the reason why i say it is that just shows you how difficult the bubble was you had some really talented really really good basketball teams get here and not be able to take it the rockets crumbled clippers crumbled bucks crumbled they just could not deal with it and when you look at the teams that did have success including your Boston Celtics including the Toronto Raptors including the Miami Heat including the Denver Nuggets it was all the toughest minded teams that were just like all right we're fully dedicated to basketball we don't care about distractions let's just go out there and hoop and the fact that the Lakers and specifically LeBron 
who's 10 to 12, 15 years older than these guys that he's beating wound up being the last guy standing, that's pretty impressive to me, right? Now, is it better than beating a 73-win Warriors team? No. Is it better than beating Tim Duncan and stealing a trophy out of his clutch? Well, no, Um, but it's still pretty darn good. And I, I think that we can only blame the teams that couldn't handle the pressure of the bubble for their shortcomings. And the fact that the Lakers beat the teams that beat those other teams, that's to their credit, in my opinion. Sure. So the celebration. Um, can I ask you a couple real quick questions? Just like Please. from your just like I guess like a TikTok would be great because like the final buzzer sounds and everyone's at center court and you know, Genie Bus speaks and Frank Vogel speaks and LeBron speaks. Like where are you when all of that is going on? Are you along the, the sideline? Are you at your seat still? Just like are you are you I know you. I know that you're trying to be in the hallway trying to get those picks for the gram. Yeah, like where are you kind of standing? Thirsty. Yeah, you know, you know me. You're like, you I know you. Thirsty Ben. Uh no. So it actually worked out great because it was a blowout. So I'm on deadline in that situation. So I just sent my story in during the third quarter. Second time I've done that during this series, by the way. Pretty incredible. Um and then I started snooping around the arena to try to find the Larry O'Brien trophy because it's in that awesome Louis Vuitton box, and I just wanted to take like 20 pictures of that. Never successfully found it. Um, as the buzzer was uh, counting down, um, basically they would not let independent media, if you don't work for ESPN, you can't get on the court for the celebration. So I essentially had to go to the sideline, and I actually took that moment to congratulate Michelle Roberts. Uh, I think I congratulated one of the union lawyers, maybe Mark Tatum, because they're all just standing there. There's not very many people there. And I basically just mm-hmm. said, hey, like, congratulations. You guys made it through. This is this is great. Good job. Um, and then I tried to get as much video as I could just of the on-court celebration. And then at that point, you're just tweeting stuff as fast as you possibly can. They The on-court celebration where they actually do like the trophy presentation, that takes a lot longer in real life maybe than it feels like on television. Like it just think, it feels like that thing just drags and drags. Everyone gets to talk. Yep. So as soon as it ended, I basically sprinted back in towards the hallway by the Lakers locker room because we have seen other teams celebrate um, after series victories and been able to get like pretty interesting content from that spot. And in fact, when the the Nuggets won their dramatic game seven, they actually like led us in the back hallway. So we had all these amazing opportunities to see Jamal Murray celebrate. And the NBA set up new rules, like basically making a wall so we couldn't get all the way uh, into that hallway right by the locker room. So um, it was this cat and mouse game, basically. It's like, how close can we get without violating these NBA protocols to capture the celebrations? And um, basically what happened was the Lakers were so excited and their locker room was so small because it's not like a real NBA locker room. Uh, it's kind of like a converted, not storage closet, but like maintenance room or something like that. <laughs> um, they came just busting out with the uh, the champagne and just, you know, found the, the nearest reporters and just like sprayed the living crap out of us with uh, champagne. So if people haven't seen that video, if you want to see what it looks like to get doused by LeBron with champagne, um, it is on my Twitter page at Ben Golliver. It was pretty funny. Um, just side note, like I haven't had a drink since 2006. Um, wow. So yeah, so the champagne that hit my mask, that like was the first time I really smelled alcohol like like that in years and years and years. And you could taste it just slightly through the mask. 
So I was joking. That's like the drunkest I've been in 15 years, even though obviously I wasn't actually drunk. I didn't drink any, but uh, it was just, again, a unique experience. Like I said, I mean, my whole suit was soaked. I was there with the guy, Omar, who started up House of Highlights. He works at ESPN now. We both just got absolutely wrecked by Danny Green and LeBron. And then from there, my whole mentality is like, well, mostly people care about one person, right? So just kind of tag along with LeBron. He's being um, followed by that the, the Last Dance crew. You know, I, I think I had mentioned to you that Andy Thompson, the same guy who, who did the Last Dance, Michael Jordan, has been following LeBron around since the second round. Um, getting footage for a, a future documentary project. So he was right up in my face with the camera after I got doused. So there is a chance, Michael, in this future project, I will have a cameo as the guy who absolutely got nailed by the champagne, which would wow. be um, which would be pretty ridiculous. Um, and then from there, LeBron got on FaceTime with his children, then got on FaceTime with his mom, and uh, he took a cigar out to this little hallway and was just laying on his back talking to them, having a great time, and um markeith morris actually came over and doused him completely with champagne ruining his cigar and at that point um That's a party LeBron, yeah lebron looked pissed but he also was like trying to keep it in so he, he did a pretty good job i'm sure he just found another cigar it's not like it, it's irreplaceable um and from there he just goes and does a million interviews you know and so they had the trophies out which is always fun to take pictures of he was in a phenomenal mood, as you could imagine. Markeith Morris uh, walking around and telling a whole group of reporters, you guys want to know what a champ looks like? Just look at bleeping me. I'm a champ. You know, it's just some of these moments that you're just kind of really not going to forget. Um, Anthony Davis in the whole hubbub, he disappeared somewhere. I think he was probably doing interviews on the court maybe, so I didn't, I didn't get to see too much of his celebration. But it was raucous. And we, if you and I go back all the way to like June and July – I think we were predicting that that was going to be like the worst part, right? Because mm-hmm. it's an empty arena. It's just going to be flat. It's not going to be cool. I actually think, again, the bubble's intimacy where like we are spending all this time with these guys day after day after day. It's the same faces. You can't escape it. Everybody knows everybody. It really did kind of – like it was a better championship celebration than – basically any of the other ones I've been to. I mean, I was at the Warriors one. I've got corks from the Warriors locker room when KD won. Um, I was in the hallway when KD and Jerry, basically Jerry West told KD he was going to leave the Warriors. Uh, You know, I was like five feet away when that happened. Um, So there's been some special like, you know, post-title moments. Uh, But I would put this one at the top just because of the excitement to leave. You know, as Danny Green said, we're bleeping free. And he's running around with the champagne bottles. And I think that's uh, how everybody felt, including, by the way, uh, the NBA officials. You know, I think everybody was ready to pack up and move home. And just as a footnote, you know, I my flight is until this evening, so I'm not going to leave the bubble until about 2.30 p.m. So I went out for a walk this morning. I did not see a single other person. I went for a five-mile walk, did not see anyone um, it is a complete ghost town. Everybody got out of here as quickly as possible. Understandable. Um, my two follow-up questions, one of them was, did you have any champagne, which you've already no, no. answered? I, I um, did not, but 
you know, I'm bringing some home with me. I mean, my suit stinks, Michael. And it's like, well, but I, I only brought three suits, so I bought my three, uh, brought my three best suits, and I had to kind of like rotate them during the finals because you know, there's what are you going to do? Bring six suits to Orlando in the middle of July, and I wasn't even totally sure we were going to make it. And there's obviously nowhere for me to buy a new suit, so we're just rotating the same clothes. You know, um, that suit is going to have it's going to need like a full car wash detailing, not just uh, not just dry cleaning. Yeah, and then my my next that's that stinks. My next question is, uh, you know, I didn't really even I've kind of forgot about the bubble protocols about not being allowed in locker rooms. It just kind of slipped my mind, honestly. And then after seeing all the footage of the players celebrating on Instagram Live, etc. Um, yeah. So my my next question is just kind of like, you know, for me, I have not covered as many finals as you, but I've been to two or three. And what I uh, what I've made a habit of doing is after the final game going into the losers locker room because uh, like first of all it's just easier to to, to kind of walk around and you're, you're going to get an exclusive <laughs> exactly and see the scene but it's also just like I don't know I find it more interesting sometimes to see how people and human beings respond to like it, like just this, this is rock bottom for them professionally in a lot of ways. And so I, I'm personally more intrigued by that just professionally as a journalist. So did you have any, like, even if you wanted to, would there have been an opportunity to kind of like see what the Miami heat were going through last night? It's a fascinating question. Um, I love where your mind is going. Um, so here's what they did. There was so much interest, obviously, in the various Lakers players that they actually took both press conference rooms that they usually typically have one for Heat and one for Lakers, and kind of out of respect, I think, to both sides, not wanting to have a huge press conference for the Heat where nobody was there, mm-hmm. um, and also wanting to be able to more quickly accommodate all of the Lakers players so that they could get the chance, because... They often like to have first-time guys who, who are winning their, the, their championship for the first time have the ability to do a press conference just so that they've got their emotions on tape, right? Um, and so there was a lot of guys in that situation. I mean, KCP, Dwight, I mean, you go right down the list, all those guys got podium interviews. So they actually basically stashed the heat on like side venue that had been used typically like just for some of the Zoom calls for like role players. So even like Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler were sort of in this... Um, almost auxiliary room and the main press conference setup that they had made specifically for the finals, which had two rooms were actually both given to the Lakers. So it was the first time that they had done this in the entire bubble. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, it basically made me choose, do I stick with LeBron and the Lakers or do I go see what the heat were up to? At that point, I didn't feel like I could kind of leave the LeBron scene because there was just so much interest on social media. I mean, things were going absolutely crazy. Um, All the Lakers fans were out of the woodwork for sure. So I did not get a chance to personally see any of the heat. Um, But I imagine that it was as gut-wrenching as possible. I believe Rachel Nichols had a video of Bam walking around late night and just sort of being able to see and hear and watch the Lakers celebration at the only restaurant here in the bubble. And obviously, as I was writing my my closing work last night at about 3 a.m., I could still hear them celebrating. I mean, it's, it's not very far away. It's, you know, 300 yards away probably. So... Um, again, just a very interesting and weird dynamic here. But uh, I, I think if you had wanted to go to the heat side, you could have had 20 minutes with Spo. You know, you exactly. would have been 
<laughs> no, that's exactly where my head's at. And I, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but uh, I'm sure you did. Eric Spolstra's post-game presser, um, you know, he's wiping tears from his eyes for like 30 seconds before answering the first question. And I mean, that stuff is just like, that's why we love sports. Because like, there's, there's the celebratory nature, but then there's also defeat and agony right. and everything that goes with that and there's really no value in the celebration if there is no pain in loss so well i, um, I love it no i agree 1000 percent. and not to beat this um this horse dead but i think that also again that underscores why the bubble can't be disentangled from this particular title and why mm-hmm. we should give the lakers credit for it because losing after three months of isolation is a different kind of despair that is a yeah, different kind yeah. of heartbreak, right? And my mind was actually after game five thinking like, this. Can imagine if they blew the 3-1 lead, right? If you're the Lakers, you blow the 3-1 lead, LeBron's legacy is like tarnished forever. This is like the worst, most humiliating defeat of his career. He just put three months in away from his family and everything else, and this would have been an utter catastrophe and you know there would have been no explaining it so again that's part of the reason why i was so impressed by their game six performance because they did that with all the expectations and pressure and you know miami was playing with house money the whole way through and it showed in both their wins actually but um you know still just a gutting loss for them and also for jimmy butler too i mean i I pointed this out when we did the jimmy butler episode but he's had his heart broken by lebron a lot And as bad as that game winner in 2015, when LeBron hits the jumper in his face in Chicago to silence the crowd, that one hurt. I promise you playing your absolute best in games three and five, and then losing in six in blowout fashion because you just couldn't muster the energy. I promise you that one hurt more, especially after three months in the bubble. And so again, that's why I do think um, the the bubble deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. And I mean... Yeah, I, I I agree with you that the bubble deserves credit, and it's just such an extenuating circumstance. You know, before the games even started, I was thinking a lot about how, and I never wrote it about this, but I thought about it, about how we would kind of contextualize like a, the loss of competition in a competition format versus everything that's going on in the world and how we would maybe not care as much as an audience. Um, and to a certain degree... When we look at Miami, that's kind of how I feel. Like they have nothing to hang their heads about, and they were they exceeded expectations and and all of that. But if you are a member of the Miami Heat, you must feel like I just sacrificed so much. And what was it for? You know what I mean? Like that is that's yeah. terrible. No, that's what I'm saying. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Michael, this is getting dark, so I want to leave you with a moment of, of levity from the celebration. Can I go back one, one, one moment the other way before we get into a couple more questions here to close out? So LeBron's on the floor. Um, he is FaceTiming uh, with his mother, Gloria, and uh, he starts the call by saying, Mama, Mama. I don't know if it, I don't know if you saw that video. It went like crazy viral. Um None other than the singer Vanessa Williams hit me up on Instagram to say, will you please post this video to Instagram? I saw it on your Twitter. I need to reshare it to all my Instagram followers. 
Wow. So I did it. And now I think basically I am best friends with Vanessa Williams. So, you know, two degrees of separation, Michael. You're, you're pretty close to uh, Vanessa yourself now. <laughs> Tell her what up. Congratulations <laughs> to you. Um, yeah, that, actually, no, that's incredible. It, oh, look, I'm just going to air it all out. She actually sent me a voice memo on Instagram and said, Oh, you've got a podcast. I might listen to it. So it was a real big day okay, over now here. Now I know that you're going too far, and that's no. that's okay. That's okay. That obviously, my right never happened. hand, my right hand <laughs> is on the first Sports Illustrated cover that Michael Jordan ever got. I promise you, this happened. I couldn't make it up, Michael. Now was she enjoying a Lakers victory? It's possible. Um, what she told me though, and I actually thought it was pretty poignant. She's like, "Look, as a mom of black kids." That moment hit hard, you know, and I think that the bubble also had a way of humanizing players. And I I put this in uh, my essay about leaving the bubble in normal life. There are sunglasses, there are tinted windows, there are gated communities, there are security details. There are just a million ways that people who have lots and lots of money can separate themselves emotionally, physically from normies like us it's just very easy to not have to deal with whether it's reporters the average joe whatever it might be there's Mm -hmm. an awful lot of ways to hide and sometimes it can just be your wealth you can dress in a certain way um you know you can have a certain type of car you can live in a certain neighborhood there is just a massive distance from a class perspective that is available to these athletes especially someone on lebron's level And those walls mostly came down in the bubble. Now, obviously, I'm not walking around the hall doing, you know, ding-dong ditch on the Lakers doors at 3 a.m. in their hotel room because the hotels are off limits to us. But a Missed lot opportunity, of, I just want to say. But well, that would have got, got me, you know, kicked out for sure. But um, I just – there is – I keep going back to this idea of proximity. There is just – Uh, a different relationship uh, in this experience that will never be the same again in the NBA, right? I mean, we're probably going to go back to a situation where it's going to be hard for reporters to get back into locker rooms. It's going to be a lot of stilted press conferences going forward and all that kind of stuff. And here the players were just humanized. They mostly wore sweats because they had to go back to their hotel to, to shower. They didn't even really care about putting on airs or being that cool because ultimately they were stuck in the same hotels that we were stuck in, right? Um, they couldn't go home, you know, just like we couldn't go home. So it's not like everyone was sitting around in a, you know, yoga circle and singing Kumbaya together, but there was, you know, a little bit of this kind of shared experience. And so again, that humanizing moment, even though LeBron's got 15 cameras on him, where he's just kind of having that connection with his mom, I do think that that one resonated with a lot of people in a way that maybe some of his more forced press conference statements don't quite resonate. In 50 years, there's going to be like 6,000 media members uh, who will claim that they were in the bubble. Uh, So I feel like uh, if I were you, that would be such a badge of honor to have actually participated because everyone's going to want to say that they were actually there. It's going to be like the Wilt Chamberlain 100-point game. Exactly, exactly. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that. Because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it. Here, in this place, this is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up here with a couple more questions. Um, so you did bring up this issue of the Heat, and I don't want to just only talk about the Lakers here because they had a sensational run through the um, the bubble. I mean, they knock off three higher seeded teams, they dismantle the Bucks, uh, they beat or really outlasted, we probably should say, the Boston Celtics, and they put up quite a fight when they easily could have rolled over here in the finals. I think Jimmy Butler's takeaway quote was that the Heat will be back, and I am not totally sure they will to this same level. Now, obviously, they have some younger players, heroes coming along. Duncan Robinson showed that he can kind of settle in um, as that series unfolded, especially Game 5. You know, He was phenomenal. Um, seven three-pointers. Bam is only going to get better. I just wonder, was mm-hmm. this the best series of Jimmy's career? Did so many things break right? Did the bubble suit them perfectly? Um, what about Goran in, in terms of his future? You know, it, Unless they get like a, a big-time free agent acquisition here in the next couple of summers, is it possible that they're going to be falling back into like the Eastern Conference second tier, and there's just so many other talented teams on the rise that could maybe take their spot. Um, I guess, what do you think, bottom line, Miami's staying power. Are they going to be back in the finals again next year if you had to bet over the next three years over under how many finals do you think they make? Man, this is a tough question to answer because I don't want to be disrespectful to so many of the people in that organization who I – I adore like I think Eric Spolster is the best coach in the world um Jimmy's always been one of my favorite players 
you mentioned Bam. I think Bam is just going to be a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, his offensive game is continuously blossoming, uh, and it's just such a shame that he was physically unable to to perform uh, to the level that we thought he could in the finals because of his shoulder slash neck injury or whatever was going on there. Um, but he'll be better. He'll be an all-star basically for the next 10 years. Tyler Hero will make a leap, one would assume. Um, Duncan Robinson is just, uh, yeah, he's like one of the best shooters alive, maybe the best shooter alive uh, on the move, off the catch. Um, at the same time, like I think that the bubble was such a such an interesting, unusual, unprecedented circumstance that it was almost destined to allow a team like Miami to get as far as it did. And so I kind of put Miami in the same category as I do a team like the Denver Nuggets, where they overachieved as well. And I don't know if we should be penciling the Denver Nuggets in to get to the Western Conference Finals next season. Um I look at Toronto, I look at Boston, I look at, obviously, Milwaukee, assuming okay. that Giannis... Let, sure. let me stop no, you right there, uh, just to ask a question. So I yeah. think the odds makers have said the Lakers are the favorites to win the title next year. They're the early favorite. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people would say, well, they're the favorite to win the West even more so than being the favorite to win it all, right? Where would you have Miami on your early pecking order? And I know it's tough because we haven't seen free agency and everything else, but just kind of like coming out of this ballpark you know, one, two, three, four, you know, with the teams that we know that they're going to be there. I mean, I think I'd probably have them above a Toronto um, just because of, it's, you know, some of the age it, issues. Gasol's leaving. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so hard because of free agency, right? Like Fred Van Fleet is a humongous player for the Toronto Raptors. He's a free agent. He could be on the New York Knicks next season. Um, we have the Brooklyn Nets being in a playoff series with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, if healthy, like they could be just a total monster. That so wait, what's darker? Uh, you <laughs> wanting to go to the Miami Heat locker room by yourself, or Fred Van Vliet on the New York Knicks? I mean, I mean you're, you're Van, in a real Van tough Vliet, mind no, space. It, 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 I swear, yeah. man, Massachusetts is not taking this title very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really difficult one to answer. So I don't know if I would put Miami behind. Um, behind Toronto, I might put them in front based on uh, the performances that we saw from some of their younger pieces. But you also did mention Dragic. And Dragic is, I think, 34 and coming off a, a, a pretty serious foot injury. And yeah, man, that felt like his shot, didn't it? That's that's part yeah. of my, my thing, too. So I guess I'm looking at it. I think I have Miami third. Okay, you know, so I've, do you have I've, Milwaukee I've got, and Boston ahead? Correct. And then, yeah. then Miami, then I think, then Toronto, and then Philly. I mean, <laughs> well, the thing is, no, but like we we laugh about Philly, but like I guess bro, oh, I'm forgetting Brooklyn. I'm forget- maybe they are fourth. Yeah. Maybe Brooklyn's third. Yeah, no, I think, but like you know, I, I've made plenty of jokes about the Philadelphia 76ers on here. Um, I think Philly is like super interesting from the perspective that they just. Like they have a, a, a the head coach change, I think is just like monstrous for them in the in a plus sense, and like they're probably going to try to make some trades, and their roster is not going to look anything like it did this season. So like I wouldn't count Philly out, um, but I think the East is just like a total toss up. Is is the way I'm kind of 
is how I'm kind of exiting this conversation. So I would say that the Miami Heat certainly benefited from the bubble and the playoffs not having home court because they would have had no home court in every single playoff series, which, you know, getting to play on a neutral site helped them more than anybody else, right? Uh, so that is certainly a factor. Um, whether or not they'll be able to re-sign Goran is huge. He was their leading scorer heading into the finals. That's not a small deal. Um, and everything else that we just discussed with regards to you know free agency and all these different variables. But I would say they're in the mix. Is that like a cop? Am I copping out with that answer? Is that an okay? A hundred percent copping out, but it's fine. <laughs> um, no, like I I agree. I, there were were. 100% sure they're not the overwhelming favorite to come back. They're no. going to be a factor. You know, Jimmy is not going to fall off a cliff magically. Like, he will be, uh, um, you know, certainly somebody to reckon with. Bam's going to have a queer year next year. Tyler Hero is going to take a big step forward next year. They're going to be really good. I just um, wonder if just so many things broke right for them here in this spot and, and the conditions were so favorable that it could be a situation where maybe they go out in the second round they could actually be a better team next year and go out in the second round. That's just sometimes how it shakes out. Yep. If you don't have that, like, you know, top three player talent to kind of carry you through. Uh, a couple quick hitting things here at the end. Um, my newsletter for the Washington Post this week was my 10 most memorable quotes of the bubble. Uh, I, I tried to have a wide variety, whether it was, you know, advocacy or activism and basketball and the goofy off court stuff with pickleball and all that. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the Sterling Brown and George Hill factored, you know, majorly into this exercise, you know, with the um, the Milwaukee Bucks shutdown. I'm curious, did you have a favorite quote or an encapsulating quote of the bubble experience, whether it was one of the interviews that you conducted with a lot of people along the way, maybe a Bill Walton zinger um, <laughs> or anything else that you feel like is is the, um, the, the your favorite quote from this entire experience? I mean, the whole, yeah, I didn't even actually think about the Bill Walton interview, but that whole thing is filled with magical quotes that everyone should go check out uh, at GQ. Um, Maybe it's recency bias, but honestly, Ben, I think my favorite quote, and I actually put it into my Twitter profile last night, is LeBron saying, I want my damn respect, too. I, I, I love, like, it really, previously I had Be Better Tomorrow, because that was my my previous favorite <laughs> LeBron quote. So why um, did this one strike you so much? Well, first of all, it's like I fundamentally disagree with it because I just think, you know, giving attention to people who do not respect LeBron based on everything he had accomplished heading into the bu- uh, into the bubble really don't deserve your attention, right? Like those people are absolute clowns who uh, like your opinion is just invalid in my in 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 from where i'm sitting if you don't think that uh lebron deserves respect after this entire career of just magnificent basketball and um and like civil rights advocacy um but uh for him to say it like like he's not at the same time like he is like i I don't know. Like he's just so self confident in like I want my damn respect. To, like to after the way he said it after saying that like, um, uh, you know, Rob Polinka deserves his respect because there are there is certainly an argument to to not give Rob Polinka respect for this. Um, 
to say that Frank Vogel deserves respect when um, I think you and I know that Frank Vogel, like you and I respect Frank Vogel for sure, but uh, heading into this season, Frank Vogel was not the first choice to be the head coach. And, you know, he's coming off a run with the Orlando Magic that wasn't great. And uh, uh, a lot of people were doubting him, um, in a sense, uh, with some validity. So to uh, give him respect is, is, is it's, it's just like the way he said it, the context he said it in, I thought it was amazing. Um, and I just, I don't know, like when LeBron speaks, sometimes he just says it's, it felt like it was off the cuff to me as well, which I really appreciated. And like, give the man his respect. <laughs> He's the best. For sure. And look, I, you know, in hindsight, um, all those guys, their reputation takes a big step forward. Rob Point oh, yeah. is stepping into a, a tricky spot, being willing to collaborate with Rich Paul, LeBron, and Anthony Davis to kind of make that trade happen. He was going to take all the blame if it backfired, right? Um, no one's going to blame Rich Paul or the other guys who are kind of operating in the shadows. You know, if all those draft picks wind up blown up in your face and it's, this is like the next uh, Brooklyn Nets, you know, Boston Celtics trade type situation, that's Rob's reputation um, in that spot. Frank Vogel, like you mentioned, not their number one choice, came in humble, but also ready to to connect with his superstar players, not going to be a pushover, standing up, not having the arrogance of a David Blatt, finding a quick connection finding a, an identity of physicality and defense that they were able to maintain mm-hmm. all season long yep. and then carrying his team through all sorts of just absolutely ridiculous emotions and yeah. and ultimately being himself. I mean, his post-game um, on-court interview where he was like shouting was pretty dorky. Gotta say, Frank Vogel, pretty, I loved pretty it. dorky. It was, it was a lot yeah. like, remember when he went on David Letterman when he was a kid? Wasn't he juggling as a kid on David Letterman? <laughs> It was like that same kid growing up. Here he is on the, in the greatest mode of his stage. I loved it too. I think that that matters. You know, don't put on airs. Don't try to be someone you're not. You've never won a title yourself as a coach. So mm-hmm. be humble about it and get through the finish line. You're going to savor it that much more. Um, and, you know, right on down the list, Rondo deserves a lot of credit. Um, Dwight Howard, um, you know, not complaining about whatever anything along the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, you know it's, there's just a, a lot of... Um, a lot of people whose reputations look different once they get the the title. That's why guys like Jared Dudley and Markeith Morris are running around screaming, "You've got to call me champ!" Um, you know, it's a it's a reputation changer for sure. All right, let's close up here. The last couple of minutes, Michael. I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but I wrote a long essay for the Washington Post that ran on on Sunday. I'm going to be tweeting it out today. That's basically goodbye to the bubble, and I tried to capture as much as I could about this experience. What was challenging? Um, you know, what was fun? What were the standout moments? Um, why was the Milwaukee Bucks protest bigger than literally everything else that happened here from kind of a, you know, a news and attention standpoint, try to get into some of the nitty gritty about daily life. Um, I forwarded it to you and demanded that you read it. Hopefully you have accomplished that goal, Michael, any questions or takeaways from that piece? Um, hit me. No, it was a great piece. Um, a really, uh, comprehensive wrap up of what it what it was like to be in the bubble for so long, and I think like I'm kind of just starting off with like uh, I mean I knew a lot of the stuff that you said because you and I converse uh, multiple times a week and we text and all that, but one of the things I didn't know 
was this line that you wrote. Um, quote, I now own the same polo shirt in seven different colors. I don't even like polo shirts. So my question, Ben, is uh, why didn't you ask me for some fashion advice when you were doing your online shopping? Oh, because you're the GQ guy. That's right. <laughs> um, well, look, um, I mentioned that part. Every First of all, that seems to be everybody's favorite line, which is kind of hilarious because it was such a toss away and I thought the editors were going <laughs> to cut it, but they didn't. Um, look, exhausting late nights. Everybody's probably been there. You get to the online shopping mm-hmm. and you make bad decisions at 3 a.m. You know, there's there's probably some apps that could, you know, probably like limit, you know, which, um, you know, how much I'm able to use my phone at certain hours where you might be more prone to do some impulse buying versus others. Part of my defense in terms of buying so many polo shirts is that I didn't really calculate how hot and humid it was going to be properly down here. And I also, I'm not sure I completely believed I was going to be down here for three months when I first came. So I didn't do a terrible job packing, but I didn't do a great job packing and I needed some reinforcements. Did I need seven of the same polo shirts in different colors so I could go a full week rotation with different shades of polo shirts? The answer is no. Um, But ultimately, like... I didn't feel I needed to really invest in true fashion advice because um, this wasn't um, Rodeo Drive, you know. This was Coronado Springs Resort, <laughs> you know. And as I felt a little uncomfortable wearing T-shirts to the game. Some people did that. I didn't want to wear a dress shirt every single day because that just turns into a hassle of you know uh, washing them and, and ironing them and all that stuff. So polo shirts was kind of my uh, my middle ground. But I now have an awful lot of polo shirts I'm not totally sure I'm ever going to wear again. Um, but yeah, that, thanks for highlighting the important no, that, part. That, of- <laughs> yeah, that was the most important thing. But actually, I have now I have a, an actual serious question. Um, where are you donating the polo shirts? No, that was not my serious question. Um, my actual serious question is now that you are leaving the bubble, you know, um, the bubble was the safest place in the United States of America for the past three months. Um, you're going back into <laughs> the wilderness where we're now kind of maybe experiencing a second wave as a nation of coronavirus. I know that just from talking to you before the bubble, um, you know, you were extremely cautious uh, and, you know, very rarely leaving your apartment and taking all sorts of precautions. So, like, how... Have you mentally prepared for just the utter weirdness of going from the daily testing and wearing the ring and and all of that to the outside world where it's basically anything goes now and people are kind of just wearing masks when they want to? So I was starting to wonder about you with that polo shirt question, but now you've asked the money question. So very good work, Michael. Um this is this is the whole crux of the piece or a major crux of it. You know, I've been thinking, okay, I get to take off this tracking ring, right? I don't have to wear this credential, which is like an ID. I don't have to wear my tracking band, which monitors my movement. I don't have to wear my proximity alarm, which beeps every time I'm w- within six people. And there's this idea of like, as soon as this car comes to pick me up in two hours, I'm going to be able to like strip all this stuff off and I'm going to be free. But in reality... Um, none of us are free, right? We're all haunted by these germs mm-hmm. that can even touch the president of the United States. If you take this thing seriously, it's still as big, if not a bigger challenge now mentally and you know, in terms of structuring your life 
than it was when I first got down here. I certainly thought when I left in July, I was going to be coming back to a better, more functional world after three months in this bubble and that we were going to maybe have turned a corner. I don't see any corner being turned. Um, we have maybe counted down a little bit closer to when there would be a vaccine. So that's that's progress. Um, just the passage of time helps. This thing isn't going to go on forever. But we have not made the significant improvement as a society here in the United States to make me feel very comfortable at all. So the blessing in disguise for me is that I'm going to be writing a book for the next three months. And that's going to require a lot of alone time inside, solitary, you know, low risk behavior. And writing a book is probably one of the lowest risk things you can do during a pandemic other than podcasting. So I think from that standpoint, um, I'm going to be, uh, you know, basically safe from now through, uh, through January. But I mean, all the stuff that I did coming here in July, I'm going to do again going home. I've got a private car picking me up here pretty shortly. I've got a mask. I've got the face shield. I'm going to wear rubber gloves. I'm going through an airport where, you know, there's been all sorts of issues here in Florida. I'm flying first class, which I don't normally do, just so that I have more space and, and social distance. Um, Look at try you. To, well, it's the same thing I did coming down here because I just am – not I maybe freaked out some people would say but you just can't be too cautious you know a lot of people are dying here and I want my risk to be as close to zero um, I'm not trying to take any chances and you know it's just too far to drive like that's the other part too is that if it was a if it was a one-day drive I would drive rather than fly but uh, there's just no way to make that happen so um, you know once I get home uh, I think the big question for me is how am I going to reacclimate to not having the testing? Because the testing provides an immense peace of mind. Every single day, you get an email here that says you're negative every day. And you go in the next day, it's a little bit of a hassle, it's a little bit of annoyance, but you get that email and you know for a fact that you're in a good spot. And you know if, if you live outside for a week or two weeks after having that level of, a, of care and attention and everything else, I do wonder... Mentally, am I going to miss it? Am I going to be wondering? Am I going to want to go in and get tested just to make sure? Like, uh, I just don't know how I'm going to react to that. So that part, it's um, you know, it's a little bit of apprehension. Uh, but I, I also think that I'm going to be living as safe as I can. And I encourage everybody who listens to this to stick to the script. We're not done with this thing. It's still killing people. If you don't remain vigilant, you're just as at risk now as you were back in March. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just you know, stick to the script. Like I said. I'm preaching that same message to everybody that I care about. Even Michael, when you're going on like short vacations with your your wife, you know, I'm getting nervous on your behalf and I'm glad, uh, you know, everything's been safe and you've been able to do that. But you know, that kind of goes for everyone. Um, you know, even seeing those pictures of Lakers fans celebrating in LA, you know, maybe a little bit sick to my stomach. I understand their need for a release. I completely get it. But man, it, you know, it's, it's hard to that watch tough. that. Yeah. So that's where I'm at on that one. And, you know, we're going to check in. Like you mentioned, you know, we talk twice a week. So you're going to be experiencing my reacclimation to society <laughs> uh, <laughs> with me. I mean, there are a few things I'm looking forward to. I haven't driven a car since July. And I like to drive my car on LA's freeways, especially when there's no other traffic there. And that's like one thing so about never. Being a, well, it's funny because one thing about being a sports writer, like when you're done with the games at, you know, midnight or one, yeah. you know, you can you can fly down the freeway and have a pretty good time. So I'll miss doing that. I miss the ocean breeze a lot. Um, you know, the lakes and ponds here on campus were pretty nice. I saw all sorts of cool animals and stuff, but not the same as the Pacific. Uh, I miss 
ethnic food. You know, I've been eating a lot of potatoes for the last three months. I would love to get some Thai food, some Chinese food, literally mm-hmm. anything besides bland American salty <laughs> food and Caesar salads. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, you know, and and like I said, the, the listeners will be with us as we go here the next couple of weeks, and. I may be leaning on you for advice about, yeah, what is the real world like? Because I'm sure there's going to be a culture shock, just like there was when I first got down here. Yeah, um, it'll be different for sure. But I I think I just want to wrap up by saying that um, I speak on behalf of everyone who listens to this show when I say uh, uh, thank you for your coverage, which was tremendous throughout the entire thing. I don't know even how you found some of the stories that you did the pickleball one was tremendous and uh yeah you're one of the best to do it i'm honored to be your co-host on this show i'm shocked that you never even canceled one time because if i was in the bubble i would have been canceling uh (laughs) regularly on you probably because i couldn't handle the anxiety and the stress um so yeah you're a workhorse and uh congratulations my guy well, one of my very favorite phrases, uh, and longtime listeners will know, is the greatest ability is availability. And you probably heard LeBron <laughs> on court. He almost said it last night. I think he said the best thing you can do for your teammates is to be available. Um, that you know nearly brought a tear to my eye. I thank all the Open Floor Globe members who sent you know that quote to me and said, "Oh, he's pretty much saying what you say." Um, I think it's true. It's a it's a mantra. It's a lifestyle. That's what I've tried to stick to here. And I do think that when you get into routines, especially during stressful situations, um, that can be the biggest help of all. And certainly there's a lot of therapeutic value to doing these podcasts, to talking to someone on the outside world, even if he's an unhinged Boston Celtics fan lunatic like Michael Pina. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of value to that. It just you know keeps order. It keeps balance. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of makes you realize like, hey, you know, one show at a time, you know, you're going to be able to get through it. And then you look up and boom, 93 days later, uh, you actually get to be freed from uh, Disney World. By the way, Michael, not sure I'm ever coming back to Disney World. No disrespect to the <laughs> Walt Disney Company. I think I've had my fill. All right. On that note, Michael, we're going to double back later this week. I will be back in society. We will take all the listeners' off-season questions. If there was anything else from today's episode um, that we overlooked, you know, in terms of wrapping up the finals, the Lakers side, the Heat side, anything else that you guys are curious about, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And let me just say this, listeners. I, just like Michael said thank you to me, I appreciate him, and I, I should say thank you back to him. He's been an unbelievable um, co-pilot on this journey. Uh, ultra reliable, ultra informative, awesome, hilarious takes, you know, stirring the pot, getting you guys engaged. I loved every bit of it here in the bubble. We are headed forward into the off season and it could be a longer off season than usual. We just don't know yet. Now is the time for you guys to step up and email us all your questions. We will take them hypotheticals, um, whatever it might be, uh, you know, free agency ideas, draft ideas. We want them right now. Email them openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts. If you search for Open Floor, that's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. On Twitter at Ben Golliver. Check out that Washington Post newsletter that I mentioned. 
And you know what else, Michael? They should pre-order the book. Go to Amazon and and uh, go ahead and add that to your cart. Buy it now. It's called Bubble Ball, and I would greatly appreciate it. All right, Michael. Until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it here in this place. This is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly... Shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high-ranking officer in the Secret Service. An Assassin Comes to Town, a six-part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts.